Mark chapter 10 as today we get the opportunity of covering this great passage in verses 46 through 52. Lots and lots of stuff here. I wonder if you guys can finish this song for me. I'll give you the beginning. Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You guys know that song, huh? Very familiar song to us. As a matter of fact, uh, estimates are that that song is sung every year 10 million times. It's been recorded on 11,000 albums slash CDs. It was written by a guy named John Newton, who right before his seventh birthday, his mother died. At the age of 11, he was taken to the sea by his father, who was a stern sea captain. As time progressed in his life, he was a youth uh, out there partying, drinking, doing all those things. And uh, what ended up happening is as he grew up, he became a slave trader. And so he would transport slaves from coast to coast until one day what happened, there was a great storm at sea and uh, he thought he was going to die. He was convinced unless there was divine intervention, for sure, he was headed for hell. And so he prayed, God, intervene. And as a result of that prayer, what ends up happening was so amazing to me is that the cargo slipped And as the cargo slipped in response to his prayer, uh, what he says is that it slipped to a point where it filled a hole in the ship's hull and the vessel was then able to drift to safety. He attributed that to God saving his life. And what ended up happening as time progressed, he became a Christian and it took time for things to catch, but eventually he became an ordained minister. He wrote 280 hymns that one right there, Amazing Grace, was the one that just, man, God has used over the years. And I, and I pray that we would know this personally. We're going to see that in today's study, this guy, Blind Bartimaeus, uh, um, God, you know, just, just steps into his life and he gives him that ability to see. And we read right here in Mark chapter 10. Notice what it says in verse 46. It says, now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, if you're studying this out, you're going to have to also refer to Matthew 20, 29 through 34, and Luke 18, 35 through 43. And as you look at those passages, you get a complete picture Matthew tells us that there were actually two blind men, but Mark and Luke, uh, they kind of hone in on one of them, this guy by the name of Bartimaeus. Uh, We're not sure why he does that, but it's probably because of the two he was more vocal. Others actually believe that what happened in church history is Bartimaeus uh, became more well-known and more influential, and therefore he's the one that they focus on. But, but in looking at this right here, I don't know about you, it sounds kind of funny there in verse 46. Notice again that they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho. 
You know, it sounds even funnier when you look at the other Gospels. Uh, for example, Matthew says it happened as they went out of Jericho. Luke says it happened as he was coming near Jericho. So which is it? You know, Some people actually believe there was a contradiction. For years, skeptics pointed at the Jericho discrepancy in the Gospels as proof that the Bible contained errors until what happened, archaeology discovered without a shadow of a doubt that there were actually two Jerichos in that day. There was uh, ancient Jericho, considered to be one of the oldest cities in the world, which by the time of Christ was a small village primarily in ruins. And then there was the new Jericho, built by Herod the Great as the site for his uh, lavish winter palace, his winter getaway, so to speak. And what we find is that they were about a mile apart, and the new Jericho was about 18 miles from Jerusalem, which is now where Jesus is heading. And so uh, all that to say that what we find is that Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem. He would pass first through old Jericho, and then he would travel now near the new Jericho, known as the Herodian Jericho. You know, and if you would allow me just a little freedom here, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's some significance in that, right? I mean, I would venture to say that there are some of you here today who might be tired of the old Jericho, and you're kind of ready for the, the new Jericho, the, the old life, and you know, the old ways and the old days, they're kind of getting old, you know what I mean? And, and you're just ready for a new life that Christ would give to you. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer, of course, is that today would be the day that you would believe, that today would be the day you would receive the new life, the new power, the new strength that God himself offers to you. You know, have you guys ever heard of that saying, out with the old, with the new? You know, we could do that even in the spiritual sense. There's a really cool passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Have you guys experienced that in your life as a Christian? Has that really taken place in your life? You might say, well, what do you mean, you know, old things and new things? What are you talking about? I'm talking about like the new friends. You know, even God himself is now your friend and not your enemy. When you become a Christian, everything becomes new. New music, maybe. New movies, right? New hobbies, new clothes, even. Not necessarily boring, but maybe more modest. Everything changes. Now it's all new. Sometimes Christians might even have a new city uh, for example, to move in where God calls you to be a missionary or other reasons. I remember when I got saved, uh, I was uh, 22 years old, and I had a roommate who at the time wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And so, you know, all he wanted to do was party and have sex with his girlfriend. He wasn't married. I knew that was wrong, but now I'm a Christian, right? And so everything's changed. And so I knew that wasn't the right environment for me to be in. So I moved out. I moved out of that city, out of the old city, so to speak, of Jericho and, and into the new. And we got to have that mentality as Christians. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, that we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. And ladies, that's not your husband, okay? <laughs> that's the old, wicked, wretched life, the old ways and tendencies that we had. It's time for something new, right? 
And what we find is you guys, God is willing to do a new work in our lives. I even remember that saying, the Christian life is simply a series of new beginnings. He's ready to do a new work, just as he's going to do in the life of Bartimaeus. Now, in reading our text right here, we find that Jesus is traveling with his disciples as well as a crowd of people, which the Bible describes there in verse 46 as a great multitude. Now, I don't know, I'll bet almost anything there were hundreds of people, multitudes of people, if you can visualize it, if you can almost hear it, you know, marching down Main Street, right? But, but there, as they're marching, there on the side of the road was a couple of beggars, one of them by the name of Bartimaeus, who the Bible says was blind. Now, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult his life was. You know, in, in those days, being able, unable to see meant that you were unable to work, and it was a given across the board, therefore, blind men were begging men. And so every day, you know, you had that same routine, you were led to your spot, so to speak, and all you could do was listen for people as they drew near, you stuck out your hand, and you said, alms, alms for the blind. That was your life, and some days you probably made ends meet, others you didn't. And of course, you know, you would try to find good spots where there was more traffic, similar to people standing by the off-ramps nowadays. As a matter of fact, they, saw, they say that the new Jericho was a place where there was more wealth. And so it was probably a pretty good spot for this blind beggar. You know? And as I was reading that, I thought about our times in Cambodia, how there's a road, there's a highway that leads to the zoo. And on that highway, uh, they say that a lot of tourists travel, therefore there's a lot of money going down that highway. And in Cambodia, the, the beautiful thing is, for the most part, they take care of their elderly. They respect them, they honor them, but not all of them do. And on this road, there happens to be a lot of elderly ladies that are left there. They're dropped off each day by their you know, friends, to just sit there by the side of the road and, and beg. And it just breaks your heart when you see these things happening in real life. Bottom line is, beggars are put where there's more traffic. On this day, however, looking at Bartimaeus, there was much more traffic. Luke tells us in Luke 18.36 that hearing a multitude passing by, he Bartimaeus asked, you know, what it meant. And he asked someone, hey, what's going on? He hears the commotion of the crowd, of the multitude passing by, and they told him some of the most amazing words he would ever hear in all of his life. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And so we read in verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to, to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, Bartimaeus may have been blind, man, but he, he wasn't deaf, huh? And somewhere along the line, and they say that when you're you know, blind, your other senses are heightened, Somewhere along the line, he heard about Jesus. Uh, he, he, he wasn't deaf, and he did not doubt. 
You know, I'd be willing to bet the barn, all the money in the bank, it's not a lot, but I'll bet it all, man, that when he heard about Jesus, he wanted to go to Jesus. You know, someone somewhere told him about, you know, the one they thought was the Messiah, and part of the reason they were convinced that he was the Christ is because he healed the blind. And so he had heard about that. You know, when you consider the time frame when this is taking place, this is just 10 days before Jesus is going to die on the cross. And so he's been healing people for close to three years. And so uh, all those healings, man, the word has gone out. You know, Jesus even testified of himself in Matthew eleven five: the blind see. When John the Baptist says, are you the one? Are you the coming one? There's supposed to be another one. He said, the blind see. Tell John the blind see. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The Bible even says in Luke 6.19 that he healed them all. And so, you know, no doubt Bartimaeus gets word. It spreads like wildfire. It somehow reaches his ears, and he, and there's no doubt about it, he wanted nothing more than to go to Jesus but, but how do you go to Jesus if you can't see and maybe no one will take you? What do you do? You know, you're trapped. But praise God that Jesus came to him. And Jesus will come to you. That's how he is. He has already in a general way when he came and died for us on the cross. But you got to be ready also for that special day, for that great visitation when Jesus comes to you, especially in the days that we're struggling or we're hurting or we're going through tough times, maybe physical, financial struggles, marital problems, the children or the challenges of life. You know, God has a way of getting our attention. You know, they say there are no atheists in the foxholes. And when you're there and Jesus comes to you, I pray that you would listen like Bartimaeus did. You know, if you're here today going through hard times, you can't see you can't see, you can't see past your problems. You can probably relate to this man who was in pain and sorrow and darkness every day. Imagine being blind, unable to see the kids or, or the colors or the sky or the sunset or the stars or the flowers or the face of your loved ones. I mean, it's hard enough living in this fallen world, but add to that the grind of being blind. Praise God, Bartimaeus, he heard the praise reports about what God can do, and he believed. And he thought to himself, you know what? There is hope in Jesus. He listened. And he heard the noise that day, and he said, you know, what's going on? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by, and Bartimaeus, he, he just, man, he begins to cry. Why? Well, because he really believes. You know, Bartimaeus believes. We call it uh, ailing prayer. We call it prevailing prayer. We call it proper prayer in looking at him. Why? Because it's not based on our own righteousness. It's based on, on the mercy of God. It's not based on me. It's based on the Messiah. You know, re remember that, you guys. When you pray, you know, it's the mercy 
of our Messiah. I like Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1. It's a Psalm of David. It says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 6 in verse 2, it's another Psalm of David. He says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. You know, that's the God that we serve. We can go to him because he's a merciful Messiah. They, they, they said it was Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth, but Bartimaeus didn't call him Jesus of Nazareth. He knew better. He called him the son of David, which means what? He acknowledged him as the Messiah. You know, I found it fascinating to discover that this is the first time this title is used in the Gospel of Mark which is the designated title of the Messiah. It comes from the lips of a blind beggar who's sitting on the side of the road. Now, Bartimaeus knew the promise of the Old Testament, God's promise to David that you know, his throne would be established forever. Bartimaeus knew the promise of Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, the root of Jesse, the branch of Jesse, uh, David's father, he knew that. He knew Jeremiah 23, 5, the Bible says, Behold, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. He knew Ezekiel 34, verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And you read the Old Testament, you find it's flooded with prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. Bartimaeus knew Jesus was the Christ, and so he begins to cry. But what happens when he starts crying? The Bible says there in verse 48, notice again, then many warned him to be quiet. You know, he begins to speak up, and everybody tells him to clam up, right? And part of the reason may be the fact that in those days, the rabbis would teach their disciples as they're walking along the road. And so perhaps blind Bartimaeus, this beggar, was interrupting their Bible study. We don't know for sure, but we do know they said, be quiet. And what did Bartimaeus do? He cried all, all, all the more, huh? The NLT says he shouted louder. And, you know, it's interesting. We see the escalation uh, more clearly in the Gospel of Luke where the first word used is an ordinary shout, kind of like trying to get someone's attention, right? But the second one is like almost an uncontrollable scream, uh, like a cry of an animal. The word is really the cry of a desperate man. And I, just if I could pause for a second, you know, guys, this is how we should pray. You know, I'm not necessarily saying you have to shout. Some people think they have to shout. I remember one time my father-in-law, he, uh, he was, you know, had cancer, and we had some people come over, Christians prayed over him, and they started shouting. I'm not necessarily saying you got to do that. I don't think so. But, but, but you got to be, be believing when you pray, and you got to pray with passion and sincerity and from the heart. And you gotta make sure that no matter how hard Satan tries to stop you, that you don't. See, this is how we should pray. The Bible says in Luke 18, verse one, that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men 
always ought to pray and not lose heart. And some translations say faint. Don't faint when you pray. Don't stop praying. Be passionately, be persistent. And you know, I have to ask myself, I pray that we would all examine our life because it's such an important part of our life. Do we pray like that? And I love what William Barclay said about Bartimaeus. He said this, he was determined to come face to face with Jesus. Nothing would stop him. He refused to be silent. He refused to be restrained. His sense of need drove him relentlessly into the presence of Jesus. He said, if a man wants a miracle, that's the spirit he must show. A soft, sentimental longing never really taps the power of God, but the passionate, intense desire from the depths of the human heart will never be disappointed. And I don't know if you guys lay hold of that. You know, we're too busy, you know, with life. We're too busy with our work, with our job, with our cares, with riches, with materialism, with hobbies. We're too busy to pray with passion. Why don't we pray? Because we don't believe. Satan has come in and somehow, for whatever reason, he has stopped us from praying the way that we should. And I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said about Bartimaeus that he persisted in crying out to the Lord in spite of the obstacles. And let me tell you something. Life has a way, America has a way of throwing a plethora of obstacles in front of you to keep you from praying like this. You know, this guy right here, this is a visual for us. This is an example for us. It's way beyond nominal, normal, casual prayer. It's more than even ordinary or consistent or persistent. I mean, this is ailing, prevailing prayer. This is spiritually loud and victorious. This is a prayer flooded with faith that will get the attention of Almighty God. Maybe you're here today and you need a miracle. What's a miracle? It's something that only God can do. Well, if you're here today and you need a miracle, this is how you get it. And I'm not saying that God always does whatever we want him to do. It's not biblical. It has to be according to his will, the Bible says in 1 John 5.14. But the Bible does also say that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. In James chapter 4, verse 2. And sometimes when we, don't, when we ask, we doubt. The Bible says, let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, tossed to and fro. We have to believe when we pray. You know, this is the key to all that binds and blinds us, which is exactly why the enemy will fight us in our prayer life tooth and nail. You guys know, and I've shared this with you before, that if you're in a fight and someone has a weapon, that weapon becomes the focal point of the fight. You're in a fight, someone pulls out a gun. What's the, the objective now is control of the gun, the knife, whatever it might be. Well, that's what prayer is. Satan just wants control of your prayer life. He wants it to be non-existent. And what God wants it to be is to be prevailing prayer, victorious prayer, like we see in the life of Bartimaeus. 
Remember C.H. Spurgeon, he said this, prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. He said, some scarcely stir the bell for they pray languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. You know, sometimes we're too busy uh, sometimes, I don't know about you, we're all different here. Sometimes people don't pray because they don't feel worthy. You know, I don't know if you feel that way. I, I know I'm not worthy. So if you're here and you're not worthy, let me just say something to you. Join the club. <laughs> you know, none of us are worthy to pray. No, not one. And you will never be worthy to pray, even though you have a good day or a great day or a wonderful day. You're never worthy to pray. No one can ever go to God and say, listen, Lord, I deserve this, right? But we can all go to God like Bartimaeus who said what? Lord, have mercy on me. I know I don't deserve it, but Lord, have mercy on me. You see, it's not who we are, it's who he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the coming one. He's the only one who can give us what we really need. Bartimaeus knew that, and so, you know, he shows us, and I pray you guys would not miss this, he shows us how to go to God that we might believe and receive things that will bring him glory and honor. And so as he cries out, they say, be quiet. He just shouts out louder, right? Look what happens in verse 49, and so Jesus stood still, and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I love what we read in verse 49, that, that Jesus stood still. That he stood still. You know, I, I, When I read that, I immediately think of Joshua chapter 10 where the Bible says the sun stood still. You know, and, and the moon, really the earth stood still at the prayer of one man named Joshua. In Joshua 10, verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the next verse there in Joshua says that the sun stood still. Think about that. You know, and, and, and you know, you might think, well, that's awesome, man, that the sun stood still. But I tell you what, this is more awesome in, in one sense because it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we, you know, need to reach. They, they tell him, hey, good news. He's heard your cries. He's calling you. And, and then we read in verse 50 that Barnabas, look, it says he's, he threw aside his his garment. Now it's interesting because when Barnabas threw aside his cloak, it was it was kind of like a, a bold statement of faith. 
Because not only was his cloak used to keep him warm and comfortable, but historians tell us that it was used to collect alms. And so, you know, he threw this aside, basically saying, I'm not going to need it anymore. He knew that God was about to hear his cry and heal him. He believed his days of begging by the roadside were just about to end. And the Lord, you know, seeing his faith and hearing his voice, I think even hearing his heart, he calls him close and, and he basically he asks him there again, interesting that he asked him that, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I, I wonder, you might wonder, why did Jesus ask him? Didn't Jesus know what he wanted to do? And we learn a little bit more about prayer, don't we? And that, that's how prayer works. God knows our needs before we ask them, but he still wants us to bring our prayers to him and ask. You know, Bar Bartimaeus here, uh, just beautiful, he calls him Rabboni, which means my teacher, which literally means my Lord, my master, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the only other place in the Bible where this word is used is in relationship to Mary, who called Jesus Rabboni in John chapter 20, verse 16. And when you study the life of Mary, who was there looking for the Lord after he rose, she really loved the Lord. And so Bartimaeus here, there's something special going on as he goes to the Lord and he and he calls him a Rabboni. I mean, this is uh, an awesome thing. I mean, the son of David was, was good. It was national, general, doctrinal. But now Rabboni is, is personal. Do you go to the Lord like that? Hey, God. Or, or is it my God, my Lord, my Jesus, my teacher, my master? Do we come to the Lord in prayer like that. And here's something else. If the Lord asks you that question, what do you want me to do for you? What, what would you say? The Hummer, huh? The Hummer. The mansion. Lord, I want, I want a house. What would you say? What are your most pressing prayer requests? You know? You know, I was thinking about this uh, today as I was going through the study. And of course, it begins with my home. It begins with my family. Rabboni, I pray for love in my home. Rabboni, I pray for wisdom in my heart. Help me to obediently lead my family, your people. Rabboni, I pray for the church, Lord, that you would make them strong, that you would build them up. Or bony, that you provide a, a building that we might own and call our home. A facility that only you could provide by your ability. I pray for the peace of this city, the salvation of El Monte, the surrounding areas, our present and our nation, this planet. Lord, the peace of Jerusalem, because I know what that means. That means you're going to come. And I'm not sure, you know, what your most pressing prayer requests are, but I do hope you have hope, like Bartimaeus did. 
And that as you pray, you know who you're going to, that you dream great dreams and prayers for the glory of God. I like what one poet said. He said, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. You know who said that? Same guy who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton. (laughs) Do you have that kind of faith? It's important that you do, because look what Jesus said right there in verse 52. Go your way, notice your faith has made you well. (laughs) And we read that throughout the scriptures, don't we? Luke 7, verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke 8, 48, he said to her daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Uh, Jesus told the leper in Luke 17, 19, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And we gotta have that faith the way that this man did because we learn the visual from Bartimaeus that first salvation, then sanctification. First the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and then he falls on us. And we learn this from Bartimaeus. Some people call him Bart. I don't know if you want to or not. We learn his heart, huh? Hoping, believing, and praying. You remember, when I, when I read this right here, they were trying to stop him. I'm just thinking about like the woman with the flow of blood. Nothing could stop her. Remember there was a crowd thronging Jesus and there was this woman. She said, I just know that if I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Remember that? And nothing could stop her. And she reached the hem of Jesus and she experienced healing for her heart, you know, when I, when I read that story, I also read of Mark chapter 2. Remember when the, the four guys had their friend and, you know, they went to the house. They couldn't get in. There was no way to get to the crowd. So you guys remember what they did? They went to the top of the house. They dug a hole in the, in the, in the roof and they let their friend down. What, what's that saying? That's saying nothing's going to stop me. And that's what we see right here. Barnabas, he shows us this, you guys, that nothing should stop us. I pray that we would be a hoping people, a believing people, a praying people. Don't let anyone ever stop you from hoping or believing or praying. They will try. Satan will try. Science will try. But I want to encourage you to cry out all the more. Do you pray? Second, do you see? You're like, yeah, Manny, I see. You know, do you really see? Maybe you don't. Ask God to open your eyes. Maybe there's people here today, or even Christians, who are a little bit blind. And the reason I say that is because sometimes I don't think Christians see who God really is. That's why they don't pray. They don't see him high and and lifted up. They don't see the miracles that he does and he wants to do. Ask God to open your eyes. Maybe you're suffering from blindness. Can you see God, his holiness, his loveliness? Can you see the beauty of his blood shed on Calvary for you? Can you see that? Then why are you whining and complaining and crying and resisting him when he died for you? Can you see God? Can you see others? Maybe you're blind and you can't see others the way that God sees them. You're like, well, I don't like him or I despise them or I look down on that person. Then you are blind. 
Because you don't see people the way that God does. Do you see yourself the way that God sees you? Do you see as Christians that you're, that you're beautiful, that you're wonderful, that you're created in his image? I mean, do you see that about yourself? Then why are you lowering the standards the way that you are? Do you see that you're his children, that you're his beloved? Do you see how you are forgiven, how you are free, how God lives in you? Do you see who you are in Christ? And I've, lately I've just been thinking this, you know, and it just goes through our, 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 our hearts. I, I, without him I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have no confidence in the flesh, but I have complete confidence in him. You see, that's where we, we need to be. Now, three questions in closing. Number one, do you pray? Number two, do you see? And then the last one, Bartimaeus shows us this also. Do you follow? Look what he says there in verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What did he do when he got well? Immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus on the road. You know what's funny? Is there are some people, they claim to be Christians, but they don't follow Christ. How can you call yourself a Christian and not follow Jesus? If you're here today and you need to make that decision to follow Christ for the first time, or just for that that time in your life, now it's a new you know, beginning, it's a new Jericho, it's a new start, I pray that you would. I pray that today, you guys, we would learn from Bartimaeus and be able to say, even if it's something that we've done a hundred times, I, I, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, I was blind. But now, 